Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Jenny, good to have you here. Jenny is the author of the book, Breathing Love, Meditation in Action, also of True Yoga, Practicing with Yoga Sutras for Happiness and Spiritual Fulfillment. Her website is JennyLeeYogaTherapy.com. Jenny, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks. Great to be here. I know you have a real focus in your work on joy, and I love that because so many people are struggling with finding their joy, finding meaning in their lives, and living their lives with a sense of exuberance rather than just going through the motions every day and having the same old experience. Well, how do you come to that that focus on joy? Well, it was really through my own meditation practice that my joy level started to rise. And for many years, I felt like I was just slogging through one painful experience after another and really feeling like I didn't have a lot of joy in my life. And I think when we aren't experiencing joy, it's an indicator that something is out of balance and that we need to do something about that. And for me, the, the shift started when I began to get really serious about meditation. And the deeper I got into my practice, the more that I started to feel an innate joy bubbling up from within as I connected deeper to my core authentic self. And where were you when you began that quest? Were you in a serious slump? Were you a habitual negative thinker or getting sucked down into a feeling of not being joyful during your life? Well, I wasn't a negative thinker. In fact, I think I've always been a fairly positive thinker, but I had had many difficult times in my life. I'd had several deaths in my immediate circle and I'd lost a child and uh, I was just felt like life was nothing but a struggle and I had had a recent divorce and you know so all the different things that come along in human experience had just really gotten to be a really heavy load and we can even the positive thinkers among us can get discouraged after a while and meditation was was what got me back to a state of inner equanimity and and really love and deep connection to a divine energy of love, which is the most joyful thing that I know of and why I chose to write a book about love. (laughs) So what does that look like for you? You start meditation, you enter that state. How do you, in that state, connect with that sense of that divine energy of love? Well, the thing is, is that it's always there within us. It's not something that we have to work too hard to connect to. The the hard work is getting all the external stuff out of the way. So, you know, I, I teach meditation now. And what most people struggle with, firstly, is just creating the discipline of, of a practice and a regular sitting time and eliminating the distractions of life that pull us away from that time of illness. In, 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 in
most human life is not very still. It's not exactly something that comes naturally anymore. I think in olden times, there there was a lot more stillness in people's days than there is now. But we live in a 24-7 kind of culture and expectations of always being plugged in. First, we have to just take that time. And then it's all the inner busyness, of course, that we run into, the mind chatter, the body discomfort, the emotional roller coasters. And so I talk to people, my students, about really looking at this as a long-term endeavor and that it's not about a quick result. It's about taking the time to to shift, learn to shift your focus. And so they're, you know, using all the different meditation techniques that there are to drive our minds into that single point of attentive stillness. And then what opens up is this incredible inner well of love and joy. And we don't have to really work too hard to get that. We just have to get all the other stuff out of the way. And then there it is. (laughs) I love that idea that it's right there in us all the time. And all we have to do is create the inner conditions, the stillness to perceive it for it to, to be there for us. So with somebody struggling with that process of bringing up discipline to their meditation practice to have it take off, what do you tell that person? Well, I always tell people to start small. To me, the most important thing is developing the habit because we are habitual creatures by nature and we always default to the habitual patterns that are established in our lives. If we want to be successful with meditation and consistent with it, we have to develop a habit. And so that starts just as simply as five minutes a day of stopping and breathing and focusing and choosing a meditation technique to to really hone in on. And then what I have found with most people is that as they have established that habit of meditation, daily five-minute practice, that within a week or two, then those five minutes are getting a little bit longer because they're starting to feel like, oh, this is sort of a sweet time. And yeah, okay, I might not be completely quiet in my mind when I'm sitting here, but oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit better as I go about my day. I think there's something to this meditation stuff. And so quickly, in my opinion, and of course, there's always times when we stray away, but start small, experiment with a few different techniques or types of meditation until you find one that seems to resonate for you and then stick with it. I think the other problem is that people can try to try too many things and just bounce from one thing to the next and feel like, well, oh, that didn't work. So let me go on to the next thing. And really, we've got to look at it as the technique. It doesn't really matter what technique we choose, whether it's a mantra or a breath focus or a visualization practice or some combination thereof. But really, those are just the bridges over to the state of stillness. And so we've got to pick something and stick with it. Consistency is key. So when you are initiating that kind of practice, you say committed to just five minutes a day, maybe 10 minutes a day, and you do sit and you do then adopt whichever practices as you've decided to, to, to use. What do you do when all those thoughts crowd in? Well, they certainly do. And they do even for me, even though I've been meditating for close to a decade daily, and I still have days where thoughts are crowding in. And I think it's just to be expected. It's the nature of the mind. And we have to gently, compassionately bring ourselves back to our intention. And I guess the other thing that I usually work with people on is intentionality with their meditation. So for me, my intention whenever I sit is to connect to that divine love that lives within me and you and everyone else and the, is the source. It's what I call God or spirit source. And so my intention every time I sit is to connect to that. And if I know that, you know, we're, we're much more able to accomplish goal if we know why we're doing it. It's important to know your why, your intention of sitting. You know, oftentimes people go to a meditation practice just to kind of calm the stress in their life, 
and, and quiet their mind. And that's a fine goal as well. If it's just about becoming more mindful in your day, then a practice of mindfulness meditation where you're just watching what's passing through, but not attaching to it, not following it can be very powerful 10 minutes of, you know, non-attached presence that then translates out into your ability to do that when you're in a meeting or in an argument with your partner or whatever, then you just have built that habit of being mindfully present with what's happening without getting emotionally involved in it. So as you practice that in meditation, it then can start to translate itself into other areas of your, of your life, like your work with a team member, like with a partner in your life, with family members and others in your life. Absolutely. I mean, I think the the twofold benefit of meditation, it for, I mean, the ultimate benefit to me is that, again, that connection to divine love, that source of my being, that, that inner, innermost soul nature, which I want to be the guide for my life. And then it, the second benefit is how I feel walking through my life as a result of connecting to that. That's why the subtitle of my book is Meditation in Action because I feel that there's two essential components. One is establish the practice that connects you to the love within and then take that and walk out into the world as that love, with that love, serving that love and with that as, as your intention in all that you do. I know you're certainly a very different human being when you walk out with that intention in that state than uh, if you aren't. One question I have is uh, I found that people when they're doing meditation, most people when they get even a little bit quiet, are aware of that source of love. And then there are very few people who don't. I found some people say when they close their eyes, they get really in touch with all of the most disturbing things going on in their psyche. And there are people actually who are scared to close their eyes because of all of the terrifying memories, images, and experiences that will well up for them. What do you do in those kinds of cases? Well, uh, for someone like that, I would say that it would be important to engage in therapy process with a counselor or a therapist or a trusted clergy person or whomever they, they trust that um, could hold the space for them to discuss those experiences. Part of what I do as a yoga therapist is I do hold space for people to, to dialogue around the difficult challenges in their life. It, what took me to that practice to begin with was the difficult times in my life. And so it really is important for us to have a container in which to express our feelings and to have those feelings validated, someone who knows how to manage those high emotional states of fear, trauma. It's important to, you know, make sure that you're sharing those with someone who is trained to hold the space for that. And then I think with time, as those feelings are honored and those experiences are processed on a psychological level, then someone will be able to enter meditation in a clearer way. I wouldn't be afraid of meditation. It's not meditation that is bringing those up. They're there. They're within us if we've had trauma in our lives. And so it's just a matter of working through those in the right context. Yeah, I think the value of therapy is enormous if people are so traumatized that when they that their internal space is one of fear rather than one of reassurance or appreciation or love. So I really uh, see the value of that. I'd like to have you share just very briefly what yoga therapy is. How do you define yoga therapy? Sure. Yoga therapy is usually an individual practice offered in a one-to-one -one setting like any, any therapeutic process would be. It uh, addresses 
addresses the needs of the client physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually in its ideal case. There are yoga therapists that focus on one area or the other, sometimes to the exclusion of the others. But ideally, it's recognizing that as humans, we are all four of these components and, and that we need practices and understanding that addresses all aspects of our being in order to feel whole. So, and it derives from, it brings its wisdom from the classical teachings of yoga, the Yoga Sutras, the Bhagavad Gita, the Vedas. And so it holds this massive history of wisdom teachings that offer just amazing understanding of the human experience, the human psyche, and the ways in which we can, the tools with which we can find greater peace and balance on all four levels. Yeah, those texts really do contain an enormous treasure trove of collective human experience. I'm so struck by the enormous wisdom that they contain, the, the, the streams of wisdom of enti entire culture. Jenny, I so enjoy your emphasis on getting quiet in meditation and then tuning in to that source of love within all of us. And I'm wondering, there are many people who might say that is just so idealistic with all of the chaos in the world, with all of the social upheaval we're experiencing now, the kinds of environmental and and ecological devastation we're seeing, how can you just go and disappear into that state of love? What do you say to people who just feel as though that's just an idealistic avoidance of real life? <laughs> Well, I, I'm laughing because I laugh, I guess, at an avoidance. It's actually not an avoidance. It's a very active and, and powerful practice of change. And I think if we look back at all the great masters and leaders and throughout history, they have advocated for the, the intentionality behind love and peace. And it's only because of the movement towards fear on a mass level that has been at play for quite a long time that we're seeing the incredible civil unrest and environmental devastation and all the other disharmony in the world. And it's, it is a direct result in correlation to the mass consciousness, which is fear-based right now. And so for each one of us to choose to spend time in a practice that reconnects us to the energy of love is one of the most profound and powerful things that we can do on a daily basis. And to walk in the world with love as our highest intention, always looking at whether our actions, our words, our perceptions are moving us closer to love or further away from it is a moment by moment journey up a mountain of um, challenge. It's challenging. Challenging. It's not an easy practice. And it, and yet, it is so beneficial, not only to us, but to everyone around us. And I think people are always motivated by, well, what's going to benefit me? And if you want to know what's going to benefit you most, it's going to be sitting down and connecting in meditation to love so that that will lead your day because you will absolutely 100% positively feel better when you are operating from a consciousness of love. We can't not feel better because that is our true state from which we came. It's our innate state that we are meant to operate from. And that's why it feels so good when we get back to it. We feel out of balance. We feel rotten when we're afraid and hateful and angry and acrimonious. We don't feel good. And this is why the, so many studies are showing how stress contribute to all different manner of disease. It makes us unhealthy when we stay in these disharmonious states. And so 
the healthiest thing we can do for ourselves is to reconnect to the energy of love. Assume somebody takes your advice, they begin to meditate five minutes every day. After a while, they feel so good that they're meditating longer, then they have some consistency. That might make them feel wonderful as they start the day, but then they drive to work, there's traffic, there are conflicts, there's the news, and pretty soon people lose that sense of well-being in the just maelstrom of random input there is during the day. What do you do then? I know the feeling. I lose it sometimes too. I lose my connection. And that's when we just have to stop again. You know, we have to create the time and the space in our days to come back to that point of peace that is within the core of our being. And meditation in the morning, meditation in the evening, before you, you know, right when you wake up or right before you go to sleep, taking five minutes of mindfulness in the middle of your day. You know, these little breaks that we can give ourselves if we start to feel out of balance, we start to feel ourselves getting really reactive or going in a disharmonious emotional state, being really judgmental or non-forgiving and, you know, all the things that come up for us. When we feel it happening, that's when we have to stop and take a break. And it, whether it's as simple as going outside on a lunch hour and taking a few deep breaths of fresh air, even if it's freezing cold outside, then just do that for five minutes or go sit in your car for five minutes and close your eyes and connect to your breath. Anything that you can do periodically throughout the day to just reconnect and reconnect and reconnect. It's just like what we're doing when we're in our sitting practice, right? So the mind strays off, we come back to our our point of focus strays up again, we come back. And so we do it all during the day as well. Give me some other examples of how you can do that. Well, I'm blessed to live in Hawaii. Not that life is completely like a vacation here. There's challenges here too. People always think, oh, she's living in paradise. And in many ways, it is paradisical. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And one of the benefits that we have is, is abundant nature around us. So I know for me, connecting to nature is one of those things that really brings me back to center. So for me, it's the water. I love to surf. I love to get in the ocean. And if I go a few days without connecting to the water element here, I start to feel a little out of sorts. And that will bring me right back to a place of gratitude, a place of deep centeredness. And so I think if someone's not living in a place with abundant nature, let's say they're in an inner city or they're in a place where it's too cold right now in the wintertime to really spend much time outdoors, then, you know, finding those things inside that bring you back to peace. Maybe it's taking a long, hot shower with some soothing music and closing your eyes and imagining that the hot shower is washing away all of the disturbing emotional states or the energy of people who you've found to be negative or for other people it's a simple ritual of having tea and mindfully preparing the tea and sipping the tea and just being totally present in that moment with gratitude and the breath. I think it's a bit of an experiment for people to find the simple things that ground them and bring them back to their intention but it's certainly possible wherever you are. Those are some great examples which we can all find and use in our lives. Jenny, earlier you mentioned that you had lost a child. Is that something that you would feel comfortable talking about and sharing with people? Sure, Dawson. I, I share a story in the book, Breathing Love, about that loss. And I know that this is, you know, for many people, many people have had this experience and it is one of the greatest losses I think that a parent can experience. Certainly losing a child at any age is devastating. We lost our second child 
at birth. She was born stillborn. And it was a really profound experience. And the, the, I'll share a little bit of the story that I share in the book, which is that we, at about four months, learned that there were difficulties with the pregnancy and we were asked if we wanted to terminate. And my husband at the time and I decided that we did not want to terminate the pregnancy, that we wanted to see it through and take our chances. And we were told that, you know, if, if she did live, that we would probably be raising a child with severe handicap. And so we were mentally preparing ourselves for that reality and, and yet hoping for the best, of course, as any parents would do. And we got all the way to term and our last doctor's appointment just before delivery, we were told that she had passed. And so, you know, going into a labor and delivery, knowing that you're going to be delivering a child who has already passed is, is a pretty difficult thing for a parent. And um, I would say that it is one of the most grave times of sorrow and depression that I've ever experienced. And yet when she passed from my body and I was asked to, if I wanted to hold her, I, I knew I had this profound moment of connection with her spirit. And I felt absolutely certain that she was not in that body. And so I said, I did not want to hold the dead body of my baby. I said, no, she's not there because I knew her spirit was absolutely alive and still with me. And I still feel her today. And this was, gosh, it's been 16, almost 17 years ago now. And there is an aspect of life that is beyond the physical. And I know that to be true with every fiber of my being. I've tapped it in so many ways. And the love that exists between souls, the love that I feel for my daughter, who I didn't get to know and, and experience in this lifetime, is so real. It's so palpable and it never goes away. And so that's where I hold her. And that's how I relate to her. And and I'm grateful that she came even for those nine and a half months in utero to help me learn about greater, more unconditional love. I think also having a sense of the survival of consciousness beyond death is a very powerful perspective to bring to all of your life. And people who are limited to thinking that their consciousness occurs when they're born or they're conceived and then disappears after they die, that's, uh, that's one perspective that is, is a lot less likely to produce joy at the very least, that <laughs> the, the perspective that we're, we're, we're beings of eternal consciousness and that we inhabit a body for a period of time, but that the consciousness that we came in with was there before we came into the body and is there after we leave the body. I think that that's what research is much more showing now. So having that perspective on life, death, and having a body is, I think, far more likely to make us happy than the belief that our consciousness is going to die when we die, our body dies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, and I've had many people in my life die and I feel the connection with them and so profoundly and so uniquely with each person. I say person, but it's really the soul that I'm connecting to. And one of the practices, I, another in the book, Breathing Love, I share practices at the end of each chapter. And one of the practices I share has to do with connecting through love to people who are deceased. And it is the practice of breathing into your heart, breathing into the third eye point and then breathing out through the heart. So it's this generation of energy between the heart space and the intuitive space and just connecting.
connecting to them through our intuitive faculties and then receiving a sense of their energy back into our heart space. It's something that I do when, I, when I'm missing um, someone. So I, my mother passed away a few years ago and I miss her a lot. We were very close. And so when I'm, when I'm missing her, I'll, I'll meditate with that and I'll really tune in through the third eye and try to connect my love to her and send her love. And almost inevitably, there will be some sort of um, indicator that she has heard me. <laughs> some pretty interesting things have happened. So you've had experiences that suggest to you that your mother is still actively in communication with you? Yeah, and it's not like she's talking to me or I see her, but it, it's almost like I know she has received the message of love that I've sent her. And so whether it's, you know, something that happened recently was I, I was doing that meditation and then and a song came on, my, it popped on my phone, like phone just suddenly lit up with the music on it. And it, it, the messaging in the song was something that she definitely would have said to me, you know, about it had, it was specific to a moment in my life at that time. And it was the type of thing that she would have said. And so just for that song of all the thousand songs I have on my phone to pop up right after that meditation was just an indication that there's still something, there's still some connection. And I, know that consciousness lives on it where it's not limited to these physical bodies it's not yeah and living like that of course makes you aware that you as physical body have a local consciousness but that you're part of a much greater consciousness and so that gives you a sense of connection to resources that you wouldn't have if you were just identified exclusively with your narrow local consciousness jenny you mentioned the value of experimenting with different meditation techniques and finding the one that works best for each person. What's your personal favorite? How do you meditate yourself? Well, my background is in yoga philosophy and the yogic text, as we mentioned earlier. And so when I was introduced to one of the great, amazingly wonderful modern masters of yoga, Paramahansa Yogananda, and I began reading his work, I felt very drawn to learn about the meditation techniques that he recommended. Um, he's most famous for his book, Autobiography of a Yogi, and his organization is the self Fellowship, and they offer lessons in meditation that anyone can request at a very nominal cost for mailing. And when I began practicing with those, uh, I felt a depth come into my practice that had not been there before. The more I read of his, read his writings, and the more I, I work with the, his techniques of meditation, which very simply they are based in mantra, breath work, and visualization in combination. So without, I mean, I can't get into the specifics of them in the short time that we have, but anyone can request those lessons if they'd like through the Self-Realization Fellowship. And those techniques have really helped me because they give my mind enough to chew on and they're incredibly powerful energetically. They have a basis of energy movement that is in them that really help our consciousness to draw inward. So that pull that we were talking about of the scatteredness into the many, many distractions of our external lives is is assisted, we're assisted energetically through the, these techniques in drawing.
drawing our consciousness inward. And certainly my love for him as a teacher has grown over the years. And I do feel that that he is my master teacher. And it's the love that always brings me back. And more than more than anything else, that is the ultimate technique for me. And the and why I wrote this book is because love is what brings me back and again and again and again to my cushion, to my prayer, to my intention of how I want to live my life. And that's the, he really, Paramahansa Yogananda really shifted my paradigm on what love is and how we are meant to experience love and live inside love. Yes, I, I love that book, uh, Autobiography of a Yogi. And it's a pretty wild book, all the things he experienced and the, the spiritual states that he describes there. And it's really powerful to tap into that whole tradition. I'm curious, as you've worked with people doing yoga therapy with them and they've begun to do things you advocate, start small, develop a habit, do it for five minutes a day, seeing it expand in your life, find a technique that works for you. What kinds of dramatic changes can happen for people? Perhaps tell us the story of one client who had big shifts happen in their life as a result of meditation. Sure. I'm thinking of one woman who I worked with who was, uh, she was very curious about spirituality and she had spent a good portion of her life reading different mind, body, spirit philosophies and going to hear various different teachers and yet she hadn't really ever established a, an ongoing meditation practice and so she we started that together and she began, became very dedicated and de- decided that she also wanted to study the works of Paramahansa Yogananda so it just it's I'm not here to say that his is the only way there's many many paths to the divine and all are, are wonderful if they're true and sincere but she also found that by narrowing down to one set of techniques and one path that she felt very compelled towards, that she was able to gain greater depth in her meditation very quickly and eliminate kind of the what we call spiritual indigestion, which is just taking in on an intellectual level from too many sources and not really embodying or experiencing anything personally. And what happened for her on the on her outer life was she was able to shed a relationship that was fairly dysfunctional at the time and not loving and that she knew had known she needed to get out of for a while anyway. She was able to let that go with greater peace in her heart. She was able to make a major career shift in with relative ease and speed and move to a different part of the country, which she's very content with. And, and she also just tells me that she feels incredible amount of joy. And she has recently been dealing with some anxiety and heart palpitations and some um, stressors in her work life. But the her meditation practice is what consistently, she consistently goes back to and is able to move through those states of anxiety that arise because she she knows that it's it, those are highly mentally connected and that as she manages her mind and as she manages the life force energy as it moves through her body, that she can control a lot of the, the symptomology that comes with anxiety. And so she's had great success with that and very happy for her. Yeah. So, I mean, the studies and the stories go on and on, as I'm sure you are well aware, Dawson, of the benefits of meditation on all levels, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Do you know what she does when she tries to reconnect, when she gives herself one of those, what you call mindfulness breaks, which particular technique she uses during the day? I don't know right now what she's using, except 
to remind herself, I would, I would assume knowing her that what she's doing is reminding herself that she is not the source or the doer of the action that she's being asked to do. So if she's feeling overloaded at work, let's take that as an example, and that if she can pause to remember that God, spirit, source is the doer of the action through her, then she doesn't need to be in that state of stress. And so it's shifting the, the, the perspective as to where all action actually comes from. Because when we, when we feel separate and alone, we can f- get to feel really depleted. But when we know that we are always within our creator's loving embrace, then we have the energy that we need for the things that we need to do. Absolutely. And we live our lives the whole different perspective. Jenny, thank you so much for sharing with us. Thanks for sharing your passion. Thanks for sharing your story and the stories of people you've worked with. Again, Jenny's website is JennyLeeYogaTherapy.com. Again, it's Jenny with an I-E, J-E-N-N-I-E, YogaTherapy.com.